What happened to the man that created the frisbee is the question that I will answer by the end of the show. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of The More You Know Mondays. The more you know, the more you grow. This week on the show, I am talking about Paul Bogle. But before I get into that, you know what I have to do. We have to start the week off with something positive, something bright, something nice. And I do that with uh, Monday Affirmations. And this week, unlike any other week, we have a quote. So the quote for this week is by Orville Alec Ice, who, it didn't tell me this on the app, I had to do some extra research. I was just like, there's no way there's a quote, another quote out there that doesn't have an author. I need to find this author. So I went out and searched, typed like the quote into Google and there it was, the name. Uh, but I will go more into him on the post on Instagram when I post it. So make sure you're looking out to check that out. Anyway, the quote goes as followed. A strong friendship doesn't need daily conversation or being together as long as the relationship lives in the heart true friends never apart now i think that this is a very good quote and it sums up the whole thing about good friends or strong friendships and even on a greater scale if you want to look at it like that even relationships as a whole. Um, though some relationships do need work and maybe not daily, but they do need attention. But when it comes specifically to friends, I like the fact of there may be a few friends that I haven't spoken to um, for a long while, but I know if I was to drop them a message or pick up the phone and call them speaking to them will feel like I spoke to them yesterday like I like nothing would it would be as if like everything from where we were whenever we last spoke would just pick up again as if nothing had even stopped from begin uh, to begin with and I don't know I, I think that's kind of weird but I like it at the same time because it's kind of like, um, I guess, like a computer game, pausing a game or pausing a TV show. Like, it's, it's not that I see things like this, but this is kind of the metaphor that kind of appears in my head when I, when I think of it. It's like when you're watching a really good show, but you, you pause it so you can go to the kitchen to get a drink. That's like what a good friend is like. Not that you're pausing them, but you're pausing the frame that you were in at that moment 
when you stop talking and then it's like you've just come back from the kitchen and you've pressed play again when you pick up that phone or you drop that message and you speak to them again and it's like you haven't even skipped a beat or anything nothing's changed or maybe things have changed but even when you're catching up it's like the conversation patterns everything is back there and you just it's like uh tasting something that you haven't had tasted or in a very long time like say you haven't i don't know say for a very say you for lent or something you decided to give up chocolate and at the end of lent you decided to come back to it and you tasted that chocolate for the first time you're like oh i don't remember chocolate tasting this sweet or like it just tastes like as if you haven't tasted it in a very long time and once you taste it again it's just like all those familiar tastes just come back so that's kind of the marking of a good friend like a strong relationship or a strong friendship rather i also like the fact of when you have good friends when you see that your good friends making power moves or striving and doing big and great things with their lives it inspires you because you're within their orbit you're within that circle or that immediate circle so it's those immediate things that you're seeing it's immediately affecting you so you it's kind of like with everything it's like a fight or flight kind of situation where depending what kind of person you are will depend on how you're going to deal or process the information that you're receiving so you see someone striving and doing good things and doing great things with their lives you could look at it one or two ways you could look at it in a sense of ah rah they're doing good things like that that inspires me to continually continue doing what i'm doing or make bigger steps so that i can kind of do more and be uh, get my life in a better place or a better position so that we're kind of equals again or not even equals or just that so that i'm i i've been inspired by you so much that you'll look at me or or maybe you won't but i i'll get to a stage where i can inspire other people to get to a better point you know um but i like that about the, that kind of when you have those kind of friends or you can look at it in a bitter way where oh so they're doing that then and then you just hate on their whole outlook and you hate on their whole journey and you compare yourselves to them and you're like well they're doing that and we're pretty much the same so like how comes how comes it's not working out for me and i was just it's just like a thing where you need to look at your own life and look at what you're doing and how you can maybe make changes or adapt or speak to them <laughs> you know there's nothing better than communication speak to them find out what they're doing and find out how you could do it e emulate your dreams you know but that the main thing is that your family outside of your family are a very good support system 
so that you can actually call them your family because there's nothing worse than having friends that you call your friends when they're really just acquaintances when they're really just chapters in your book as opposed to uh, a side character in your story you know so I guess my Monday affirmations or motivations are that you need a good support system because what you put out there is what you receive. So if you have those type of people around you in your current orbit, then your efforts of putting out good energies, you're going to bring those things back to you. But if you have toxicity in your friendships while you're trying to put stuff, good energies out there, you're going to find it harder because uh, there's a great saying, you are what you eat. So in the same respect with your friends or your relationships, what you're put what energies you're putting into yourself or what you're bringing on to yourself or taking up those energies have an effect on you no matter what you are or how you're thinking if you have toxicity around you that you need a way to clear that out with positivity otherwise it's going to pull you down whether you like it or not so you need a way to clear that and they're hard to find sometimes good friends but when you find them don't let them go like understand the balance of relationships and the give and take don't just take 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 and don't give anything back and expect someone else to continually take all the time nah man they're just gonna dip you know <laughs> because no one has time to just be someone else's doormat when they have their own things going on so find a good friend that you're going to understand their balance and be there to understand. So they <laughs> understand their balance and hope that they're going to be there to understand your balance or what you need. So it's a 50, 50 give and take type of situation as opposed to you're putting in 60% and they're putting in 20%. And then there's still this extra 20% just floating around and you're just like, well, hang on, <laughs> you're not my friend, <laughs> but I hope you understand what I'm saying because I, I feel like I've just rambled for a minute, um, but anyway, let's get on to the show, so Paul Bogle was born around 1815 and 1822, it's around that time because I'm not 100% sure in loads of different places where I have researched it said around different times or some have said 1820, some have said 1822. And it's not that it's any of it is wrong. It's just I think that because it's so far back, it's hard to maybe pinpoint exactly. But anyway... He was born in around 1815 to 1822. And he was a Jamaican Baptist deacon and activist who later became a national hero of Jamaica. 
he was born a slave in Jamaica, but because slavery ended in Jamaica on the 1st of August, 1834, uh, with the passing of the Slavery, slavery Abolish Act of 1833, which led to the full emancipation of Jamaica on the 1st of August, 1838. This was the day which former slaves became free to choose their employment and their employer. On paper, former slaves gained the right to vote. However, for most black people in Jamaica, it was hard for them to acquire the actual right not the right sorry they had the right to vote but to vote you had to pay a poll tax and because the poll tax was so high it was more for the higher classes in Jamaica and a lot of people around that time were quite poor so it was hard for a poor man to pay the poll the high poll tax um, to be able to vote you see what you need to understand is that the the British population in Jamaica at the time they were wrongly or rightly they were kind of worried that the Jamaican people that had now been given freedom would try and overthrow their masters and achieve independence similar to like what happened with the Europeans in other Caribbean colonies and how there was widespread massacres and violence like against the French that uh, accompanied the Haitian revolution when the slaves overthrew their masters and achieved independence in 1804. So to combat that, and keep the Jamaican people down, the British population decided that they were going to instill a, a high poll tax to stop the Jamaican people now that they were free. But they were free, but they just didn't want them to have any more power than they already had, which is <laughs> horrible, cra- kind of, or more crazy in the sense it's kind of backwards in the sense that you've given people freedom but it's only a show because not enough people well british people of the time actually agreed or was on the side of the freedom so because they still believed in this oppressive nature against black people they decided to keep such draconian rules and continue to oppress black people in Jamaica even though they were free and it's sad to think about something like that because although they were free they never had the money like the British people that were there or some of the other people who were more well educated than they were or able or people who were able to become more well-educated. But if it wasn't for people like Paul Bogle, who decided to fight back, 
He was a man who lived for the people and he also died for his people. It's also important to state that Paul Bogle was born free to his mother, Cecilia Bogle, who was also a free woman, but his father is unknown. He was born in the parish of St. Thomas in Jamaica, and a parish is basically, I guess you can, if you're from the UK, you could think of it like a borough, or if you're from America, I guess it's kind of like a state, or any, if you have an equivalent to a borough or a state, it's kind of, that's basically what a parish is. Unfortunately, Paul Bogle's mother uh, died, and he was raised by his grandmother. And as an adult, Paul Bogle owned a home in Stony Gut, and had another house in Spring Garden, as well as a 500-acre farm in Dunrobin, making him one of the few Jamaican people to have enough money to pay the voter fee or the fee to vote which made him one of the only 104 people in St Thomas Parish to be able to vote and to put this in perspective for you he was one of the only 104 black voters in St Thomas Parish and the population of adults in the parish at the time was at least 3,300. So only 104 black people had enough money to vote in that parish. Which is <laughs> crazy numbers. So all these people were free. But they never had enough economical power to give them the freedom to vote. So later in his life, Paul Bogle became a supporter and also a friend of fellow Baptist George William Gordon, who was a wealthy mixed-race Jamaican businessman, magistrate and politician who um, was one of the two representat representatives to the assembly from the St. Thomas in the East Parish. Now, the governor of Jamaica at the time was a man named Edward Eyre, and George William Gordon was... Uh, was leading in criticising how the colonial government and their policies were being overseen and run. He believed that Edward Eyre was more favourable to the higher classes. But we'll go into this with a little more detail a little bit later. So Paul Bogle had a good friendship with George Gordon. So much so that in 1854, Gordon made 
32-year-old Paul Bogle a deacon. And in turn, Paul Bogle built a chapel in Stoningart, which held religious and political meetings. He then became deacon of the same church that he built in 1864. And Paul Bogle was quite concerned about improving the conditions for poorer people and raising awareness of social injustices and people's grievances grew, which led to a group of small farmers heading down to Spanish Town, the capital of Jamaica. Uh, to, they were hoping to meet with the governor, Edward Eyre, to discuss their issues, but unfortunately they were denied the, an audience with him. So the people of Stony Gut lost trust and confidence in the government, which is at that moment was the moment where Paul Bogle's numbers of supporters grew because he were, he saw the injustice. He wanted to speak to the governors to see if there was a way that we could change it or see if they could help or do their jobs. Um, and unfortunately, they were denied an audience because the governors didn't want to hear what these black people had to say. Because they believed that they had it all figured out for them. They knew better than the, the people themselves. So this led to the Monrant Bay Rebellion, which is the main, the pinnacle turning moment, which was led by Paul Bogle. Though I think that before we actually go into the events of the Monrant Bay Rebellion, I think it should be, it would be wise to kind of touch on and talk a little bit more about Edward Eyre, who was the governor of Jamaica at the time. Because if it wasn't for the way how he was governing Jamaica, then there would be no Paul Bogle and there would be no Monrant Rebellion. And then also the flip side of what that sparked and uh, made happen in Britain after the events of the Monrant uh, Rebellion are also pretty interesting, but it's all sparked originally from Edward Eyre. So as the governor of Jamaica... Air only mixed with the white ruling classes. And because of that reason, his interests were very sympathetic of the white ruling classes. So he made his policies and rules to support the white ruling classes in Jamaica. So instead of trying to relieve the, uh, the unemployment problem or sort out the unfair tax burdens that were put on the poorer classes, he instead put himself um, or bruised himself with passing bills to provide punishment on the treadmill for certain offences. For example, 
he had the penalty of flogging and for anyone that doesn't know what flogging is basically whipping or beating with a stick or a whip so the penalty of flogging for stealing food as i mentioned before george william gordon was very critical of the way how air governed jamaica i mean things were so bad that george gordon was so sure that we don't need air running the or governing jamaica we we might as well self-govern because with him in power things are worse now than they've ever been or and we're meant to be free so about two months after paul bogle and a group of small farmers attempted to speak or have a meeting with edward Eyre to discuss the problems in jamaica and talk about how they could make things better and they were denied on the 7th of October, I think it was possibly around 1865, a man was convicted and sentenced to prison on the charges of trespassing on a long abandoned plantation, which <laughs> it's, a, it's an abandoned plantation and this man was arrested for trespassing on an abandoned place. <laughs> Anyway, a member of Bogle's group of protesters was in the court over the court case, um, and, but they were immediately arrested, which only just enraged the crowd further. But not to worry, though, because moments after he were this uh, Bogle's supporter was freed by other Bogle supporters who then forced the colonial police to release the man who was convicted of trespassing. So they all returned back to Stony Gut to meet Paul Bogle and his other supporters who quickly learned that there was a warrant that had been issued for the arrest of 28 men for rioting in Spanish town. When the colonial police attempted to arrest Paul Bogle, his followers fought them off. And surprisingly, eventually, the colonial police retreated. However, on the 11th of October, 1865, Bogle and his brother Moses led a protest march of nearly a 300 people from Stony Gut to Monrant Bay courthouse in Spanish town. Unfortunately, this time they were confronted by colonial militia who opened fire on them, killing seven protesters. But not to worry, Bogle and his supporters retaliated by killing a parish official uh, by, who goes by the name Baron von Kentelholt, uh, and 15 militia members. They then set 51 prisoners free. 
as the rebellion got into full swing though colonial soldiers were brought into Monrant Bay to stop the rebellion so nearly 500 people were killed and even more people were flogged after the rebellion was crushed the colonial soldiers went down to Stony Gut because they considered Stony Gut to be the stronghold of the rebellion then they continued to destroy Stony Gut Paul Bogle along with his brother Moses Bogle were captured and hung on October the 24th 1865 at the Monrant Bay courthouse a day after George Gordon George William Gordon who was also executed for being part of the rebellion even though he was not part of the rebellion the reason being because Edward Eyre had declared martial law in the area of Monrant Bay after the start of the Monrant Bay Rebellion which meant that he directed troops to suppress the rebellion stop it from happening and within that order he ordered them to also arrest George William Gordon who was in Kingston he had him return to Monrant Bay and stand trial under martial law um, for conspiracy and after being found of conspiracy by the court of martial law that was put in place by Edward Gordon he was found guilty and executed in connection with the Monrant Bay Rebellion which he had no part of Now, back in Britain, however, the actions of Edward Eyre sparked huge public outcry. Not only just for something to be done, but also there was an increased opposition from liberals against Eyre's handling of the situation, with the accusation against him of murder. And if you really think about it, I think they were right because he was made the governor of Jamaica and he should have been running things better. He shouldn't have needed to uh, uh, invoke martial law because things should never have got that bad. These people were free. They shouldn't have being given the freedoms they were deserved instead of still being oppressed. Though there were some people in Britain that supported uh, the actions of Governor Edward Eyre and believed that he acted quickly in a crisis to suppress a potential larger rebellion. And the thing is that I have a problem with 
that you need to really think about on the flip side is what must be happening even if they're supporters of how he reacted so quickly what must be happening in a country for the people to be so unhappy that they have to rebel obviously it's not being run correctly what do you mean you're supporting the way how he's run it there's so, there's obviously a problem for the people to want to rebel against the way how he's governing it regardless the governor Ayer's case had become subject to widespread national debate and in January 1866 a royal commissioner was sent to investigate the events and governor Ayer was suspended and recalled back to England and eventually he was dismissed even though there were charges or brought against him for possibly the murder of thousands of black people in Jamaica, those never came into fruition fruition were never brought against him. Instead, he had a swift dismissal and he lived out the rest of his days happily, probably in England. With Governor Edward Eyre no longer in power, this meant that Britain took complete crown control of Jamaica as they made Jamaica a crown colony. It's actually also interesting to state that the Eyre controversy turned into a long increasingly public issue which divided well-known figures of the day uh, it may have contributed to the fall of the government in 1866 john stuart mills set up and chaired the jamaica committee to examine the atrocities committed in jamaica in the course of ending the rebellion thomas Carly set up a rival committee to, de to defend Edward Eyre. His supporters included John Ruskin, Charles Kingsley, Charles Dickens, and Alfred Lord Tenson or Tennyson. So basically, the Monrant Bay Rebellion was one of the defining points in Jamaica's history, but in all, uh, which pointed out the struggles for both political and economical enhancements. Paul Bogle's demonstrations ultimately achieved its own objectives because it paved the way for a new attitude and outlook to be seen in Jamaica. Before that point, there were they were so badly treated that they needed to have a rebellion to fight back against the powers that be to make there be a better future or tomorrow for the people that live there. It also shows to me, it's quite inspiring as well, that they always say that the little people have no real power. But this story or this 
point in history talking about such an inspiring man shows me that he was just a little person in a small pond of 104 black people in Jamaica that were able to vote in a population of 3,300 people. He didn't have the ruling powers in Jamaica, even though he was born a free person. But the society was trying to keep him down, but he found every way where he could fight forward to achieve the impossible at that time. And he made the impossible possible. So now let's talk about some... Just some interesting facts that I found out about Jamaica through my research. Um, it's also interesting to mention I'm Jamaican myself, so it was kind of interesting research about the place where I'm from, so that was cool. But anyway, Jamaica has the most churches per square mile. So a small town in Jamaica is to is home to well over 30 established churches. So it's safe to say that Jamaica is quite a very religious country. Uh, they're a very Christian country to be specific, which heavily influences their education, political and social stand, social systems. They are also home to over 100 different Christian denominations in Jamaica. The most popular ones being Baptists, Catholic, Anglian, Jehovah's Witness, Seven-day Adventists, New Testament, Church of God, and Pentecostal. You also have less popular ones such as Mormons and the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. So they pretty much have every Christian denomination in Jamaica, which is pretty cool. Jamaica also has the most rum bars per square mile, which is something that doesn't actually surprise me. Um, when I was in Jamaica and I was spending time with my grandmother and um, spending time with my cousins and my aunties and uncles, we drank copious amounts of rum. <laughs> like, I wish I was kidding. Like, Jamaicans drink rum like it's water. It's like one of like one of the five a day. Maybe call it number six. <laughs> we are also... Um, Another fun fact, which comes on to the spin of how Jamaica is one of, has the most rum bars per square mile. Jamaica was the first island to produce rum commercially for exports in the days before privacy. <laughs> in the days before privacy. <laughs> rum hit in Jamaica is also widely used in the kitchen. See, that's what I'm saying. Rum cake, um, it just like, you know, yeah, man, that's what I'm saying, fam. In Jamaica, we use rum as, like I said, it's like water. (laughs) 
but it really doesn't surprise me that we have the most um uh rum bars per square mile in Jamaica. It's mad. <laughs> but then also thinking about it when I'm walking, like sometimes you're walking along the road and you'll just feel like a bar and then like there's maybe a few shops and then there's a bar and then there's a bar. <laughs> so like thinking about it after reading the actual fact it seems very possible that we could have the most bars per square mile in Jamaica <laughs> and for anyone that's a fan of dancehall you may be aware of the name Bogle or Mr. Bogle or Father Bogle or Mr. Wacky <laughs> and Bogle is a dancer or and a choreographer, a Jamaican dancehall dancer, who is uh, penned by Beanie Man as the greatest dancer of all time. He is recognised as part of the foundation and an icon in dancehall culture. But Mr. Bogle created more than more dancehall dance moves than any other jamaican dancehall figure ever he is best known for creating the dance the bogle which is named after him and also in a way named after paul bogle because i'm sure um the mr bogle took inspiration from Paul Bogle so <laughs> it's all hand in hand and now we answer the question that I posed at the top of the show what happened to the man that created the frisbee now I, I'm now thinking about it and now I'm re-saying that question it kind of makes it sound like something crazy happened to him as if like he died in a bizarre way or something but nothing like that really happened but i think it's uh it's i mean in a way he didn't die in a bizarre way but when the creator of the frisbee walter Fred frederick morrison died in two th or passed away sorry in 2010 um his he had very strict instructions that he set out for his family and what he wanted to happen with his ashes. So these implicit instructions stated that he wanted his ashes to be molded into a Frisbee, but it wasn't just one though. It was actually a series of Frisbees that were made from his ashes and then distributed among his family members, which is pretty cool. You're the guy that created Frisbees and then every member of your family now gets to hold a piece of what you created with us, with you being a part of it because he was a part of it. So it's kind of like this double whammy of mind blownness so it's pretty cool but just to give a little background of the frisbee the frisbee was invented by accident which is another cool fact it was just 
it just so happened that Walter Frederick Morrison, he was at a picnic in 1937 with his girlfriend, Lucille, uh, and they kept themselves entertained by tossing a popcorn lid across or around the beach where they were having the picnic. There was a passerby that saw this popcorn lid being thrown across the beach and they were like whoa what's that and offered them a quarter just to have it um they ended up selling it and then realized wait hang on we've got quite a lucrative business on our hands we could make our own uh popcorn lids and turn them into actual flying saucers and pops your bulbs your uncle will have will be rolling in it <laughs> so that's what exactly what they did they began selling their flying cake pans at the beach at, uh, at the beach or at beaches and parks throughout southern california for years after um fred increased his knowledge of aerodynamics and kept changing the design to make the frisbee, or as it was known back then, the flying saucer or the Pluto platter. They made it, uh, he wanted to make, design it so that it would fly faster rather than further, so that it would fly, just take off into the sky. Now, in, in 15, my bad, I'm, I was, talking about 18 in the episode and now I'm saying 15 in 1957 uh Fred sold the rights of of the flying saucer to Whammo company who specialized in toys and sporting goods um the following year Whammo changed the name of the flying saucer to the frisbee because it had become pl- popularized at Yale University amongst Yale students who were hurling around a frisbee pie company tin for sports. So because they were thrown around a frisbee pie tin, they decided to name their flying saucer, which was invented surrounding or around the same thing after the frisbee or maybe the other way around vice versa so yeah what happened to the man that created the frisbee he was cremated and turned into a frisbee (laughs) and that will be the end of the fourth episode thank you very very much for listening if you got this far in the show and if you've enjoyed it and you have this show to share with other people and you're keeping it to yourself, don't keep it to yourself. Share with the world, man. Give some other people the gift of knowledge. Because <laughs> as, as I keep saying, the more you know, the more you grow. And we, I think I discussed it in the previous episode, maybe it was two episodes ago, but I think the fact or the question yesterday was, yesterday, last week was what skill changes the structure of your brain? And that skill is learning. So why not 
give someone the gift of learning, but then also the gift of changing the structure of their brain just by listening. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed it this far, uh, make sure to give us a check out or check us out on the social medias, which is at my opinion means on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have anything to say or any questions, any shout outs you want, drop us a DM or just send up, send us an email. I don't know what it is today. I've been messing up with words and I can't get words out. <laughs> um, so yeah, just drop us an email and we will, we'll hit you up or you can hit us up. <laughs> we will, I will read out emails if I get interesting ones or questions or if you have things that you want me to look into, uh, I will look into them and we can all learn together more about this different subject. But I hope you've enjoyed this insight into Paul Bogle, the national hero of Jamaica, but then also hearing on the flip side of how this is somewhat British history because it happened around the time when Jamaica became a crown colony of Jamaica uh, of, of Jamaica <laughs> Jamaica became a crown colony of Britain and because of the events of how Edward Eyre was governing Jamaica then created the the backlash in Britain and made the British people discuss this subject at length as to whether what how Edward Eyre was governing Jamaica whether it was right or not which is very interesting to me because it allows us to be aware of how things how we can create change it doesn't have to be through violence it can be through peaceful actions but it it's it's we need people to repeatedly be putting themselves on the line or not on the line as in in a dangerous way but putting themselves on the line for what they believe in otherwise there would be no change and i think that's where i will leave this episode putting yourself on the line otherwise there will be no change or being willing to put yourself on the line to create the change but yeah i'll call that the end and hope you've enjoyed and thanks for listening subscribe like and comment i think i said all the right words and all the key <laughs> i'm never good at outros i'm done now <laughs> thank you for listening and goodbye